a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. It is so good to have you along here at KSL News Radio for Let Me Speak to the Governor. As uh, most people know, when we are in the political season and the uh, the governor's chair is up for grabs, we uh, put a little hiatus on this segment out of fairness to everybody who is participating. And this is the first Let Me Speak to the Governor program since the election of 2016. And Governor Herbert, it is good to have you here in studio, and thank you for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, Doug. And by golly, you've got the best beard growing. What do you think? I think you look uh, not quite like Santa Claus, but... uh, (laughs) But uh, give you a few more weeks, I think you'll be there. I keep telling people I'm going for Hemingway. I'm, you, I'm, you know, you, you, know? you, you kind of do look like Ernest Hemingway. You know, I, I, I see the resemblance there. <laughs> and if you're as creative and as smart as Ernest Hemingway, which I know you are, you've got a bright future. I've told my listeners I feel my IQ going up by the second. I think I'm <laughs> up to 85 already. So I think... Well, I think hey, I like the trend. I like the trend. You're going in the right direction. At least That's it's, good. it's going up. Governor, a sincere welcome. It's been a while since we've had this opportunity. And by the way, for our listeners that are out there, we always want to remind you of the number to call. And you can simply dial 801-575-8255 so you can directly uh, talk to the governor of the state of Utah and ask your questions. And, Governor, perhaps I'd, I'd like to give you just a moment or two, uh, since we haven't chatted for such a long time, and this program has been on hiatus during the election season, just a, maybe a quick uh, uh, update from the governor's office. Well, I'm sure that all the listeners out there have got on their nightstand, my state of the state address. And underlined and circled. Underlined and circled, and uh, it may help them with insomnia, but uh, it, the, the simple answer is the state of Utah is exceptional. We are doing very, very well in virtually any measurable way. Our economy is the best in America, the most diversified, healthiest economy in America today. Our growth of the economy, our GDP growth, is more than twice the national average. Unemployment rate is at 3.1%. Uh, we have great quality of life. We have the largest middle class in America today per capita. And we have what we call upward mobility, which is really the American dream, is the best here in, in Utah of any place in America. So a lot of good things going. That does not mean we don't have challenges out there. Education funding is a big issue for me, and we need to put more money into education. Certainly, if we want to have continued long-term economic expansion, having a skilled labor force is critical to that effort. 
two, I know that there are parts of Utah, particularly rural Utah, which uh, some have some real challenges economically and where we might have a really low unemployment rate here on the Wasatch Front. Out in the Uinta Basin, we might have, um, you know, like 10% unemployment rate because so much reliance on energy out there. So we need to find ways with rural Utah to diversify the economy and have them uh, have the same opportunities we have uh here. So anyway, I think it's a great place to be. We are the envy of most all the states. We're doing some really good things. And if we continue to work together, I think we can, no reason why this good run can't continue. We'll go to our phone lines after I ask this initial question. You are going to be going back to Washington, D.C. I'm sure several topics will be on hand. We're hearing also concerns about uh, future plans for the Department of Education and also Bears Ears, Public Lands. Maybe you could give us a little uh, preview of what you're anticipating when you do travel on behalf of Utah to Washington. Well, some of it is a little unknown because we have a new administration, so we don't exactly know how the Trump-Pence administration will host us, although we are scheduled to have a same kind of dinner. Uh, we usually have a dinner with them in the evening, usually Sunday evening, and then we have kind of a more um, one-on-fifty uh, or two on 50 uh, when we meet with them as governors and we have a little question and answer period and opportunities to have some dialogue. We also, though, have the opportunity to meet with senior staff, with some of their cabinet members, and uh, to talk about things uniquely uh, Utah. Uh, we will get together with our western governor uh, states uh, and so the Intermountain West, which is, uh, again, bipartisan, Republican and Democrat alike, and talking about some of the unique things in Utah. So there's a lot of opportunities to uh, work with this new administration, uh, uh, have dialogue with the governors amongst the governors, but also help bring the Trump-Pence administration up to speed on the needs and the wishes of the governors. As you might be aware, Governor, today in the newscasts, uh, it is being said that you are going back there to express an interest in having the Department of Education go away. First of all, is that accurate, and what are your thoughts? Well, it's, um, it's mostly accurate from the standpoint of, uh, of I'm, I was asked a question, do you support what Congressman Chaffetz and six other co-sponsors of a bill to do away with the Department of Education? And actually, I've been consistent about this back in the George W. Bush days, when I had some concerns about the No Child Left Behind uh, uh, initiative that he proposed, may may worked well in Texas, but I didn't think it was going to be good on a national one-size-fits-all scale. I, I don't like that approach. And uh, when they called and asked me about my opposition to No Child Left Behind, uh, they asked me if I was a Republican. I said, yeah, I'm a, Re I'm a Reagan Republican who would do away with the Department of Education. I don't see a great purpose for the Department of Education. They usually just take our money and add strings to it. And I think the education, as the Department of Education does say in their own bylaws, their primary role to educate our children comes from the states and local government at that local level. The uh, Department of Education just spends $65 billion and puts strings on the money that's coming to the states, and I just think it's a waste of time and effort. Let's uh, take some phone calls, and I'm looking down at some of the topics our uh, listeners would like to chat with you about. And, boy, quite a few are on education, including this one from James. James, say hello to the governor. Hello, governor. Hi, James. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Do, hanging right in there. Thank you. Yeah, my, my question was, uh, what is 
you know, Utah going to do to uh, increase uh, pay for teachers and also increase or or try to combat the teacher shortage we have in the, in the state? I know that's a big problem, and I wanted to know what what is what you know what is our government going to do looking forward to, to solving the problem of teacher shortage and the problem with the uh, uh, teacher pay. Well, it's probably a multi-pronged answer to that because there is no single thing you can do that solves the problem. There's no silver bullet out there. Uh, We need to recognize that the competition is keen for our labor force. We have shortages not only in teachers but in engineers and scientists and technicians and different fields out there, aerospace, life science. So part of the challenge we have with a healthy economy and low unemployment is the worry about who's going to fill the pipeline of demand for labor. So we need to increase our educational achievement because those who are unemployed could find a job if they had the skills and education necessary. Our teachers have skills, and in comparison to those educational achievements they've made, they're finding other opportunities besides just being in the classroom. And that means we are going to have pressure to increase our total compensation package to our teachers. I think people are aware of that. And that's why we are asking the legislature and my budget proposal to increase the weighted pupil unit, which is the basic unit of how we fund education and our teachers' salaries. And uh, hopefully they'll respond to that. But we also are looking at ways to enhance revenue that we can, in fact, direct into the education. We have a goal of a billion dollars over five years. We're in the second year of that. Uh, It means you have to average $200 million per year for public education alone. And the good news, we're about $45 million to the good on that quest. And we also understand that more and more are going, as per our design, into higher education. We need to put about another $275 million into higher education uh, over these next uh, four years uh, to to meet their demands. So I think everybody understands that we need to have more revenue and we need to understand that we need to pay the teachers more. And along with that ought to come a healthy thank you and a spirit and an attitude of gratitude for the service that they're doing because we're getting really good results out of our public education system for the little bit of money that we're given to them to work with. You're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor here at KSL News Radio. Let's go ahead and take just a brief break and we'll come right back. We'll take more questions for Governor Gary Herbert here at KSL News Radio on Let Me Speak to the Governor. The Governor Answers Your Questions, Utah's Most Important Issues, on Let Me Speak to the Governor. We so appreciate Governor Gary Herbert joining us here in studio to take your questions and your phone calls. And again, we have been uh, in hiatus for a little while because of the election season. And Governor, with your permission, I'm going to go right back to the phone lines. We've got a lot of people waiting to uh, chat with you. Very good. Thank you, Doug. Let's go to this phone call from Provo, Utah. And Al is on the line. Al, what's your question? Well, good afternoon, Doug, and good afternoon, Governor. My question is, in the wake of the CEOs pouting over the outdoor retailers show, my question is specifically, are you concerned about that sort of fever spreading to, say, sports teams, etc., just boycotting over any old grievance, whether real or imagined? And I, I just feel it's unfair and impedes interstate commerce as well as Utah commerce. What are your thoughts on it? Well, people have the freedom of speech, and so that's part of this issue, and and people have points of view and opinions, and they want to express them whatever way they can. 
Uh, I'm not too happy about boycotting. I think that's not the best way to resolve problems. I think the best way to resolve problems and difference of opinions is to sit down together and have a constructive dialogue. Uh, I would say in most instances, whatever the issue is, we generally have more agreement than disagreement. And there's opportunities to build on that common ground. Certainly that's true with the Outdoor Retailer Show and uh, our efforts on public lands, which is one that we've enhanced uh, clearly for the 20 years that the Outdoor Retailer Show trade show has been here. It's about tripled in size, and it's a great venue, a good location. We have, uh, you know, 35-plus million wonderful, beautiful acres of public land, uh, 15 million more than, for example, our neighbor to the east, Colorado. So we have a lot to offer. Uh, we're going to have a discussion on that particular issue with the leaders of the Outdoor Industry Association and see if we can't, in fact, find ways to move forward together. Uh, that remains to be seen, but uh, we'll we'll give it our best efforts and, uh, and present our case, and uh, that's what we need to do as a state. Let's take another phone call. This time we go to Roy, Utah, and Doug is on the line for Governor Herbert. Doug, welcome. Hi. Hey, Doug. I have a question for you regarding teacher licensing. Um, well, two, two of them specifically. Um, there's re- uh, requirements for teacher testing, and teachers already take two tests. They take uh, Praxis, uh, one, to get their provisional license, and then Praxis, two, to get their standard license. Um, why are we proposing more tests for teachers to get certified? Second question I have for you is, why are we not allowing teachers to govern themselves? I mean, we, the police are, are governed by posts. You have EMS that's re- regulated by EMS providers. You have the, the uh, all your lawyers by the board, the uh, the the bar, and and then you have the the medical professional that's regulated by the med- the medical providers themselves. Okay, let's Why get the governor's response that? to that. Well, those are good questions, Doug. Uh, I'll answer it just in reverse order. One, the governance is outlined in our Constitution and our statutes. And so our state school board has oversight responsibility and the need to develop the standards that we as a people of Utah think are necessary to have a high school graduation and a diploma. Uh, we have local school boards that, in fact, are elected by the people, as is the state school board, but elected by the people, and their charge is to, in fact, develop curriculum. And they have a lot of flexibility there as far as what that curriculum is, and by extension, gives some flexibility to the teacher. Uh, we certainly see in the classroom a lot of different approaches as far as how we teach, and, and the principal has to oversee that as well as the superintendent of that school district of which we have 41. And I can tell you they're not the same. They're, they are different. So the the oversight and the governing, the legislature comes in from the standpoint of they control the money. And uh, they're the ones that fund it. And um, sometimes with the legislature, if we're going to give you money, they want to say, okay, let's make sure that there's openness and transparency, that we're uh, spending money appropriate ways. And they don't always get it right, by the way, and that's why there's always some kind of change and modification and at least an attempt to improve. But I do believe that we need to listen more to those in the classroom, the teachers, and uh, understand what they are saying and uh, what their challenges are. They are on the front lines, and I think too often their voices have been ignored, which I think is to our own detriment. 
So that being said, we are fostering an opportunity here to have better dialogue with teachers, with the Utah uh, Education Association, with those who represent our school boards, our superintendents association, the principals, parents, and the business community all coming together. We're in the process of developing a 10-year education plan, which will give us a direction and a plan going forward over these next 10 years so we're not so divided, so we're more uh, together, we're more united and focused on what we can do to raise the bar for education achievement in the state. I think we do that, we'll, 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 we'll be in good shape. And again, I think our teachers are doing a, just a wonderful job. We ought not to burden them with too much uh, uh, teaching certification tests, but enough to make sure that they are qualified to teach. You're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor, a chance for you to talk with Governor Gary Herbert. The uh, phone number is 801-575-8255. And this time we go to, let's go to Cindy, who's joining us from Utah County. Cindy, go ahead with your question. Hi, Governor. I just want to thank you for uh, the positive tone that you use each time you speak about our teachers, the parents with kids in our public schools, and I appreciate that. Uh, I have a question as far as your stance on supporting um, possibly getting rid of the Department of Education. Some parents have expressed concern because uh, a lot of what it does is provide uh, some protections to some of our most vulnerable populations in special education, uh, Title I, historically uh, desegregation, because our states historically weren't great at doing that on their own. I'm wondering how you would respond to those parents' concerns and then um, just a follow-up question, wondering how you feel about uh, the legislation that was passed kind of in the 11th hour last year uh, for partisan school board elections. seems like polls show most of our state prefers direct nonpartisan school board elections, and yet there's legislation that's held in the House committee. It just can't get out. They won't let it out just even for a debate. Wondering what your uh, opinion is uh, on those two issues. Well, thank you. Um Again, our teachers are doing a great job. Actually, all the stakeholders are doing a good job, our superintendents, our principals. We uh, have been identified by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, for example, of having the best return on, uh, on taxpayer investment for education of any place in America today. That's a tribute to our parents, to our students, and certainly those who have to provide the educational uh, environment. Um, let me talk about the Department of Education. Don't misconstrue my desire or belief that we can do without the Department of Education to any way, shape, or form. think that we don't need to have monies that are being assembled in Washington, D.C. to be, in fact, dispersed back to the states. I'd prefer them to be in a block grant form. Nobody cares about Utah's children more than Utahns. And we, before the Department of Education, which came into being about, what, 1979 under Jimmy Carter, uh, we were getting funds to help with some of our vulnerable populations and a desire to have more equalization of our educational efforts so that whether you're in a rural or an urban area, you had a good quality education. There's no reason why that can't continue. I just feel like that the Department of Education is wasting money and adding strings to funds that we ought to be able to take here in Utah, and we decide how to spend the money in the most uh, important and viable uh, way. And I, that's why I believe in local control here in the state. I think that the school districts and the local school boards have the ability, in fact, to make those decisions in behalf of their region, which are unique. If you're down in San Juan County, where we have a very high Native American population, about 98% Navajo, 
they have a little different culture and different view of things than, say, you would have in Provo School District, where we have a growing Hispanic population, or, say, up in Bountiful, where it's maybe mostly Caucasian. Uh, again, the regional differences are real, and we ought not to come up with one-size-fits-all solutions that make it hard to, to, in fact, adapt to the needs of the students. So that's all I'm talking about. And uh, as far as the partisanship, I've recommended in the past that the best thing we could do to select school boards is let the governor make the decision. Uh, you can put some parameters on me. I care about the overall well-being. I'm not regionalized. I have to care about... You know, all 3 million-plus people of Utah and all 41 different school districts. Uh, you could put parameters on how uh, and what discipline, where they should come from in business and education, and allow me to at least appoint uh, good people to the state school board. I think we would get a good balance there of what we need to have, and it doesn't have to be partisan rankling. Let's take a uh, brief break here at the uh, bottom of the hour. We will come right back with Let Me Speak to the Governor here at KSL News Radio. Reach out to Governor Herbert. Text 57500 or call him at 801 575 8255. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. It's been a while since we've had a Let Me Speak to the Governor because of the election season. We put it on hiatus when people are running for a particular office. And, Governor, it is good to have you back. And Hey, we have four more years of fun. Four more four years. Four more of- years, Doug. So... I'll, maybe I'll start growing my beard out. I'll do it. Well, hey. Pull an Abraham Lincoln. Or you could go a Governor <laughs> Spry look. There you go. You yeah. know? I mean, some of the great old governors, they had rather frosty yeah. beards. My wife used to like it when I had a mustache. but Well, I heard you looked like Tom Selleck. That's, exactly. That's what, that's what I kept saying. <laughs> I look like Santa Claus, and he looks like Tom Selleck. Well, let's go back to our uh, phone lines, and uh, Paul is joining us on the line. And, Paul, what's your question for Governor Herbert? Yeah, thanks, Governor Herbert. I, thank you, I, Paul. Yes, thank you. I think you're doing a great job. I just have a question. I watch the news quite a bit, and I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area, and um, um, and most of the newscasts are, are just very anti-Trump. Um, it seems like you can do nothing right. There's always something negative, negative, negative. And maybe you're familiar with George Soros. There's evidence he's actually funded a lot of these protests that have turned into riots. He's actually uh, paying people for this. And then I heard that President Obama um, is actually setting up uh, kind of clandestine groups to oppose whatever, what President Trump's trying to do. I've never seen a president in history that had this much opposition from the media and from other politicians, from people in the other party and from people in his party. Just wondering, what's your take on this? Um, do you support President Trump in general, and what do you think about all this opposition? And Okay, let's get the, <laughs> let's get the governor's response to that. Well, um it's a unique time, a unique time in our country. We certainly are divided as a country. That's unfortunate. Even President Obama said in his last State of the Nation was that I wanted to unite the people, and yet we're more divided now than ever. So he recognized the division amongst the people. That seems to be continuing with the Trump administration. Uh, certainly a rule of thumb in politics is don't give your enemies a club to hit you over the head with. And uh, some of the rhetoric out there uh, gives people reason to pounce on the rhetoric and maybe not on the substance of what the rhetoric was supposed to you know, focus on. So, uh, again, I have a good friend in Mike Pence, the vice president, who I have a lot of regard for. 
And uh, I've told him, you know, I think you have a significant challenge because you have a person, well-intentioned as he may be, that has no experience. And he's never run for office before, really. He's never been elected to office before. And now, all of a sudden, he finds himself the leader of the free free world, the most powerful politician in the world. And that's quite a, a contrast to what his... He's been doing it in the past. So I, I expect him to stub his toes a, f- a few times along the way and scrape his knee. Um, hopefully he'll learn along the way. I was asked this question earlier today about uh, Trump, and I said, hey, you know, it's like asking you to do some plumbing work at my house, and you've never been a plumber before. I guess I shouldn't be too surprised if you pick up the wrong wrench now and again. So I cut him a little slack. I think there's an opportunity in two areas for the Trump administration to really make good strides, positive, in behalf of all Americans. One is his appointments. It's not just the Supreme Court, but getting uh, appointments to the federal bench, which has been so politicized over the past number of years that I think we have way too much activism. I don't care whether it's on the right or the left, there ought not to be any. And yet we see it taking place. So good appointments to the judiciary, including the Supreme Court, is really an important thing. Appointments to uh, staff, appointments to cabinet members, those are important things that will help us get the right thing done. I, I My good friend, uh, former governor of Texas, Rick Perry, is over energy. I've talked with him. I think there's an opportunity for us to have a balanced approach and a rational approach. Um, uh, that's environmentally sensitive, by the way, when it comes to energy development in this country. So I think that's a good appointment. Last but not least, I do believe that President Trump understands what should be the elevated role of the states. We've kind of been diminished as kind of a junior partner when we are, in fact, co-equal with the federal government, and we ought to be utilized as a partner in developing policy. The states really are, are the ones that are finding solutions unique to their own populations. And so if uh, President Trump will allow the states to have an elevated role in policy and in solving the, the people of America's challenges and problems, we can have actually a very productive next four years. So those two things are what I'm going to emphasize as we get back to Washington. I'm going back next week to, to visit with the president and the vice president with the other governors as part of our National Governors Association meetings. And I think that'll be two of the things that we'll emphasize in a bipartisan way, by the way. Let's go to Marvin, who is on the line in Brigham City, with this reminder that we do have several lines available at 575-8255, area code 801, of course, Five seven five eight two five five. So you can speak with the governor. And uh, Marvin, what's your question for Governor Herbert? Hi, Doug and Governor. Thank you for taking my call. Thank my you. My question is, is: every time the legislature is in session, like the past ten years, all we hear about is the shortfall of the education money and dollars. And there's a very simple solution to this, and it's the Powerball lottery that's held in several states that are adjacent to Utah. There are several people that leave the state to go purchase the lottery tickets and say they go to Idaho. They're supporting the school districts in Idaho. Why don't we keep that money in Utah? I'll hang up and let you please give me a rebuttal. Well, thank you, Marvin. And I don't know as much as a rebuttal as maybe an explanation. Uh, I think that the idea of a lottery uh, is one that has mixed reviews. The states that have them, some like it, some don't like it. There's a, an element that comes along with gambling that uh, sometimes is a little unseemly. 
Um, not that those who play lottery are insanely people, but there's uh, what happens when you open the doors to gambling. And that's the the concern that I think most of we uh, have in Utah because we're one of only two states that does not have any ability to have gambling. And once you open it up, then you end up having opportunities for casinos, uh, our reservations. We've already had indications that some on the Indian reservations would say, if we have gambling in Utah, we're going to bring in a casino. And and uh, there's just uh, the culture of Utah doesn't seem to warrant and support that. And that's really the end of the day. It's uh, We are a representative form of government. We need to reflect the principles and the values and develop policies that reflect the will of the people and the majority, as at the same time protecting the needs of the minority under our Constitution. That's a challenging balancing act, but I don't think that we have really any time soon here uh, a, a demand from the public to say we need to have a lottery. Having more money and more revenue, and there's certainly options out there. There might be six or eight different ways to go about this, of which the lottery is one. And uh, I expect as we talk about tax reform and, and the need for more revenue, particularly for education, it's certainly one of those that will be talked about, at least on the on the list. But I think it would be found at the very bottom of the list right now with the culture of Utah. We have Brian who is joining us on the line from Roy, Utah. And Brian, go ahead uh, with uh, your question for the governor. Uh, hello, governor. Thank you uh, for taking the time to speak with uh, your constituents. Thank you, Brian. Um, I just wanted to uh, know what kind of plans are in place to uh, help uh, clean the air in the Wasatch Front. Uh, it's a big problem, and uh, I was really concerned when we were trying to get with Shafetz and talk to him about it, and there seems to be some disconnect, and he was saying that people were brought in and whatnot from out of state to just we're wrenching the whole talk, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's... Air quality. Uh, Brian, well, thank you for your call, and I, I can't comment on Congressman Chaffetz and, and the town hall meeting. Uh, I think, if anything, that we learn, we ought to be civil, and that's a two-way requirement uh, for us as elected officials and those that we dialogue with to make sure we're civil and respectful in our tone. I think we'll get more accomplished with that. When it comes to air pollution, uh, we have a problem. And it's a significant issue, certainly impacting the health and well-being of our population, certainly along the Wasatch Front, but not only along the Wasatch Front. We have air quality challenges up in the Cache Valley. We have air challenges in the air shed in, in the Uinta Basin. And we certainly have an acute problem here along the Wasatch Front. What has been done and what we are doing is to, in fact, find ways to reduce pollution into the air. We, we have a uniqueness in that although we've reduced our pollution so that we are uh, the lowest polluting per capita metropolitan area in America, when you have this lid of inversion, even though you're polluting less, it captures and eventually it stores up and we have gunky air. So that's not an excuse, by the way. That's just the facts that we have to deal with. We've put 30 different regulations on place to, to and mandate that industry and commercial enterprises have best available technology. And with that effort, uh, we've reduced our pollution levels over the last uh, 12 years by 30%. That's a 46% reduction per capita of our pollutants in the air. So that means that we are actually cleaner now than we were 10 years ago. 
So that's a good trend. Doesn't mean we should be satisfied, but that's a good trend, and we're doing uh, a lot with industry and commercial enterprise. Where we still have more to do is, in fact, with our own personal responsibilities in this effort, particularly with automobiles. About 50% of all the pollution you see in the gunky days out there, of which we have on average about 18, and sometimes it'll be the worst air in America, but many more times we're the best air in America, so we ought not to forget the good side. But 18 days is too many, and uh, we have pollution that comes out of our tailpipes. We're trying to work with our refineries and others to bring in lower sulfur fuels. That's working. That will happen. Uh, we call them Tier 3 fuels. Tesoro, for example, is indicated they'll bring those in. We should meet all the federal requirements and mandates by 2019 to meet federal standards. So I feel good about the trend, but it's going to be a shared responsibility. We need to use our mass transit, of which we've spent billions of dollars on, to allow people to have abilities to, to park your car and, and, and carpool or, or, or take the tracks or the front runner. And if we do that, we can do a lot towards cleaning up the air that we have and reduce pollution even more. Governor Jay is joining us on the line right now from Salt Lake City. Jay, what's your question? Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I wanted to know what you on the possibility of bringing legalized motor, motorcycle lane splitting to the state of Utah. I've seen a lot of studies about it in the past, and uh, the overwhelming result is uh, it shows decrease in emissions and increase in safety of the riders as well as decreasing congestion. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on the possibility of that coming to Utah. Well, I haven't heard about it till now, Jay, so it may not be on anybody's radar screen and you're bringing it to our attention. I understand, if I, if I understand correctly, you're talking about a divided lane or a designated lane for just motorcycles only? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm talking about uh, legalizing motorcycles driving basically down the line between lanes. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So take advantage of the gaps between the automobiles. Uh, I, you know, I guess it's something we ought to think about, and I expect it's being done in other places. I was on a trade mission uh, to uh, uh, one of the South American countries, and they had more motorcycles, it seemed like, than they had automobiles, and they were zipping down between cars and, and down the lines. And the law enforcement people said, you know, we have about five deaths a, a day because of the high congestion and motorcycles just zipping around. So I would need to be really convinced that the public safety is not being jeopardized if we had that kind of motorcycle ability. Um, and so I'm, I'm probably not ready to make any uh, statement on a position. I'm happy to look at it. But I would have concerns about the public safety, not only of the motorcyclist, but of what they would do to endanger other traffic and other other competing in automobiles and trucks out there. So uh, maybe we can look at it, but uh, what I've seen in South America was not impressive. Governor, uh, there is one issue that I'm aware of, and there may be more, but uh, this one I'm aware of on Capitol Hill, and that is the idea of requiring helmets for those up to the age of uh, 21 instead of just 18. Is that something that you're supporting? Uh, well, I and I haven't taken a position on that. I, again, it's about public safety. We have some in the motorcycle uh, group that say, you know, helmets end up making them less safe because they don't have the visibility. I think most people have come down on the fact that it's a trade-off, and we are making helmets that are a lot more 
able to have good visibility and still protect you if you happen to have a crash and the impact on your head is uh, is less so i'm i'm a kind of a pro helmet guy i would never think of being on a motorcycle without a helmet uh, i do ride occasionally with some of our highway patrol troopers but uh, it's always with a helmet um, and I, again i think there is some maturity that comes and i guess uh, i know we consider people to be in their majority an adult when they're 18 and the question really is, is there more maturity so you can make the decision to wear or not to wear after you're 21? Uh, my decision is you ought to wear them. Let's take a brief break. Let me speak to the governor here at KSL News Radio. We appreciate Governor Gary Herbert joining us. We'll come back. We'll take some uh, questions. We'll also share, uh, also share some of the text questions that have come in as well, all here on Let Me Speak to the Governor. Time for our final segment, the Let Me Speak to the Governor Quick Q&A. The quick Q&A. Not the, uh, not the slow Q&A, but the quick. That's right. Let's take one really quick question okay. because this is uh, something to do uh, with what the legislature is dealing with, and it's one of our quick questions that came in as well. But, Jerry, and I'll ask you to keep this very brief, but it's an important question. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm concerned about the lowering of the DUI limit to .05 giving criminal records to average citizens that might, you know, only have a couple beers at dinner. Well, I think there is concern. Are we doing the right thing in the right way? Um, it, we, we would be the first state in America to lower it to 0.05. We're at 0.08 now, which is a common benchmark. Some countries in Europe have it at 0.05, and they think it's worked very well for them. They probably don't have as many people driving like we were kind of married to our automobiles out here. And so it may be a little different culture in that regard. I think some of the argument is, right or wrong, good or bad, is that it's like posting the speed limit at, at 60 miles an hour knowing that you're going to drive 70. Uh, you, people are not going to pull you over uh, unless they see some erratic behavior, some uh, deviant driving. And then they could ask you to do a breathalyzer or test you for alcohol content. So they, I think the people promoting this would say this is kind of a, a preventive effort to get in front of this. So we know you're going to drink more than this anyway, but if you know that's a concern, you're going to be a little reluctant, more reluctant at least, to get behind the wheel when you're at .08 and drive. Let's talk about uh, another uh, alcohol-related issue, and this is the, uh, uh, everybody uses a different term, but the most common term is the Zion Curtain. What uh, are your thoughts on the Zion Curtain and what its future will be and should be in the state? Well, we call it the preparation wall. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our emphasis on alcohol reform, and I think it's time to take a look at our alcohol laws and regulations, the emphasis should be for all of us on public health and public safety. And what works ought to be uh, kept and, and enhanced, maybe. And what doesn't work ought to be jettisoned, and let's do something else with our time and efforts. So we're spending a lot of effort in alcohol review to say we need to have more education for underage drinking, for our young people to understand the, the dangers of, of drinking underage and the impact it has on your health and your well-being. Uh, we need to have more emphasis on uh, law enforcement to get the impaired drivers off the roads. They they cause people to die. And uh, most of the things we have involved out there are alcohol-related, so it's a real issue. And those enhanced enforcements and education, I think, are going to pay and have paid great dividends. We just need to do more of it. 
if in the process we end up uh, removing the preparation wall as part of this overall review, uh, so be it. But the emphasis ought to be on public safety and public health. Medical cannabis, what is the future? Uh, It seems like the focus this year is basically opening the door to research. Uh, Your thoughts on this? Well, I think research is where it starts. I've been disappointed and somewhat critical of the past administration because they've turned a blind eye to the law. Say, well, we know we have federal laws on the books, but we're not going to enforce them, and we're going to, in fact, ignore them because we think recreational marijuana or medical marijuana is okay. Well, it may be, but we ought to have science to back it up. And if we don't like the laws, let's change the laws. How you change the laws is doing research so you've got good data to back up the policy you're trying to do. In Utah, I think we're happy to have medicinal use of marijuana. Let's just have some science to back it up so we get the right policy and have it as a controlled substance distributed by pharmacists and prescribed by a medical doctor. I probably should have asked this earlier, but I I know uh, that Utah's booming economy is a wonderful thing. But on one hand, it's frustrating because we're not getting the tax revenue that should come with an economy that is booming the way ours is. And I've only left you with a little less than, than a minute here, Governor. What can we do to get that tax revenue? Well, it needs a federal fix. And uh, frankly, as we mores have changed on how we shop, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce says now 50% of us now buy our goods in, uh, over the Internet online. And we've had a law in the books in Utah since 1938, which many states have had similar laws where you owe the tax on the goods that you've purchased online. But we're not, there's no mechanism to collect them. Go to brick and mortar, just part of it, ring it up, we give you your credit card and you pay it. Well, Congressman Chaffetz actually coincidentally is, has the bill called the Remote Transaction Parity Act. It has broad-based support, bipartisan support from governors, uh, certainly in Congress and the Senate. It's being held up by one individual in Congress. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Mitch McConnell about this here next week and uh, see if we can't get a, this logjam eliminated. Let's get it passed. The public overwhelmingly wants it. It's got bipartisan support, and it allows us in a very sensible way to collect monies that are owed and not let people cheat the system inadvertently or otherwise. Governor, it's good to have this opportunity back. Let me speak to the governor. We'll be doing this uh, every month in some form or fashion, and I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. I can hardly wait. It's going to be a great